Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am Corey Barrier, your host, and I'm here with Nick Slikovich. He, uh, you know, Nick has got a very, very interesting career and one that actually fascinates the shit out of me. So uh, we've got Nick here and he's going to tell us a little bit about his life and um, walk us through kind of his journey. Well, Corey, thank you. I'm honored to be on your podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, but I'm grateful to be here and I'm ready to get it going. Well, let's rock and roll, dude. So, um, so Nick, tell me, um, I guess, I guess the best place to start, you know, is what, uh, let me just, I have to ask this, but personally, what made you decide to get into what you're doing? What do your, what you do now? Plastic surgery. Yeah, so I'm a plastic surgeon. I've got a private practice. I've been in practice for 16 years, and I'm in the Denver, Colorado area. And boy, I tell you, that's a loaded question because I never knew that I even wanted to be a doctor. If you would have seen me, I did a screening for a TV show last week. It's a TLC show. And on that screening, you know, they said, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. And what I told them is, well, first thing I can tell you is if you would have known me at 19 years old, the last person you think you'd be talking to right now would be me. So I started out with not an academic success record, maybe not all that much of a life success record. You know, back in kindergarten, I was bullied. And so I threw the kid off the top of the slide. And after that, I had no access to the after-school care. So my mom, single mom at the time, you know, we were poor. At times we were on food stamps. At times we were on welfare. But she was got her way into law school. I went to law school with her. So after kindergarten, after school, I'd go and sit with her. I probably went to law school more as much as she did for a number of years or for a, a period of time. And then later, we did a lot of moving. It was a type of childhood where I never really got a lot of attachment to people, to friends, all of that. So let's fast forward. My mom married a man that she'd known for a long time, a great man, and we stayed in place. So once I started junior high school, she said, Nick, we're staying here until you graduate from high school. I went through that process, but I kind of rebelled. I did make friends, but I kind of was the bad boy, the stoner kid in high school, did all the things that you're not supposed to do, et cetera. And ultimately got to be to a point where essentially there was a little falling out with my mom. Where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go live with my dad. I did that. It didn't work out. So I left high school in my sophomore year. 
after that, I went to work. I, I did a lot of hands-on things, worked full-time, worked in sound and lighting design, worked and went to the junior college, worked in their TV studio. Long story short is I thought I would probably end up doing that as a career, but I did give it a go at going back to college. I went back to live with my father and started at college tried to join a fraternity, joined a fraternity, and then failed out of college. I got a 0.6 GPA, which for those of you that aren't familiar, that, that gets you booted. Yeah. So that, fast forward, now I'm probably about 19 or 20, and you would not think that I would be someone to go into medical school. I kind of buckled back down, worked more, ultimately had some good influences in my life and my family and my grandmother and, who helped me get back into the academic side of college, graduated from a great four-year school. But I didn't graduate knowing any doctors or really at all pre-medical. I studied political science economics. In that field, I got job offers that I knew weren't going to be a fit for me. So I just took time off. I worked as a ski bum when a buddy invited me back out to Colorado at the ski area. I said, I'm there. And then I thought, okay, this isn't going to make it. You know, I've gone through college. I've got a degree now. I thought about med school, went back. At that point, I took all of the pre-med classes from one through eight, all eight science classes. And at that point, it was truly a shift. It was, that was my job. And I had to hyper focus and block out the rest of the world to be able to get through those classes because I needed to get an A plus and get a great recommendation from my teachers and my professors to do that. So I was able to do that, get into med school, but med school was a shocker for me. It was super hard having that. All, it's not surprising. You know, I, I felt like the dumb kid in the smart row. Uh, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe not. Cause I think a lot of people feel that way, but those first two years, I learned a tremendous amount because I couldn't learn something if I didn't understand it, but I didn't get good grades. So it was super intimidating to me, but I, at third year of med school, you go to the hospital and I said, okay, this is very different. I was able to, you know, show up at four in the morning, hard work round all the patients. And then when I met the residents, they're like, okay, we're going to go around the patients. Like I've seen them all. Here's the vital signs. We're ready to go. And so that freed up my residents, my attending physicians to let me do more to teach me because I'd help them. And I really, you know, lit up on that, got excited about it. And I always in the back of my mind, haven't done those technical things, thought about surgery, but I was always afraid of it. So I thought I might do emergency medicine, something like that. It worked really well until I did my first rotation in surgery. And I said, oh man, there's no way I won't be doing this. I did my first rotation in a subspecialty. It was ENT. I saw a rhinoplasty presentation. And I think at that moment, probably that day, I looked forward and started developing the division, the vision for the practice that I have today. Today, I've got a practice that's very personal. It's very service oriented. We can make a tremendous impact with our patients. It's outside of the insurance world today. So we're not burdened with all the administrative stuff. Uh, and I think that vision really is something that came back from that time in medical school when I knew I wanted to do something more with my life. Like, you know, I, I kind of was an aha moment where I felt like a loser as a kid. I felt like people looked at me as a loser, like I wouldn't accomplish something. I didn't know what I was going to accomplish. But, you know, once I finally did the work and got to a place where I could have success attached with where I could go with it, that's when it really lit me up. That's so, so interesting. You know, I, I often wonder what, you know, where, where there's a shift. Cause like you said, you know, until you did the writing, writing, Shit, I can't even say it. You say it. The right, <laughs> the fucking nose job, basically. Um, nose job. 
you know, until you did that, that was like your, your aha moment. I, you know, I always wonder when that happens for people, you know, I was telling you about my buddy and, 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 and I, you know, I watch your stuff all the time on, on Instagram for, first of all, I can't fucking believe they let you show it. Second of all, I love it because it really shows people what they're getting into. And I'll tell you why it's so impressive. Like my wife, it's no secret, you know, she's had her lip uh, implants done. Mm-hmm. If I would have seen that shit beforehand, I, <laughs> I don't, I, I think I would have been like, what the fuck? Cause I did not envision it going that way whatsoever. So, you know, to get excited about, so let me ask you this. What is it about your job today that when do you feel the most fulfilled? Is it in the operating room? Um, Of course it's when they come back. I'm sure that has a huge part in it, uh, provided that as we talked about the other day, there are good patients and there are bad patients and we, the differences in the two, you can hit on that if you want, actually. Yeah, well, let's definitely jump right into that. But I, I, it's probably helpful to circle back about, you know, not everybody's going to have this story where they're going to go and be a physician or plastic surgeon. And I, for me, I think there were some real gifts that I was able to take away from my experience from, you know, we could summarize saying, you know, I felt like a loser. I didn't want to be a loser. But I think it's more than that. I think that that, you know, from something that happens to you, what are you going to make it work for you? And, and how is that going to give you power, right? We all have a story of something that has happened to us that, you know, despite the best efforts of maybe our family and our parents at the time, they weren't able to not wound us. We all have those wounds. We all have those fears. We all have those challenges. And when we go through that, the real question is, what happens next? Are you still with me there, Corey? You're looking at your I, screen. I, I, no, I, I, I actually don't know what the hell happened. Uh, something popped up and yeah, I heard everything you said. So that's, okay, for, that's really good. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know what no, happened. No, no worries. Are we all good though? Yeah. 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 We're good. We're good. We're good. Okay. Well, so for me, I think that you know, the lessons I take from that are, you know, how are you going to respond to that kind of worst thing that's happened to you in your life? The thing that you, that may be part of your personal identity. And for me, you know, I just read you the story of how I was able to use, I don't think I realized this at the time, but looking back clearly, you know, that, that drive really came from looking at where I was and saying, I don't want to accept this. I want to, you know, try and work to build something better. And, you know, I know Andy Frisella talks about this. He says, you know, when you're, when you're a young entrepreneur and you're looking and you want to get money because you want whatever, you want a nice life and you think money's what's going to get you there, that's actually a good thing. Because if that drives you to go and do the work to drive your success, that's fantastic. Right now, my goal in life is not to make money. It's to make an impact in the world. It's to help people. But if I started out saying, I'm a loser, I'm going to be broke. I'm not going to be respected by anybody. And I had, you know, those drives in myself that pushed me forward. That's totally fine. So I think it's not a bad thing. I believe if we had in this country, you know, 10% to 20% more entrepreneurs, it would make a hell of a lot more difference in this country than our politics is. Our politics is totally shit right now, right? Doesn't matter what side you're on. I think we're all going to agree. They ain't getting a lot of productive stuff done. We need it. 
but it ain't very functional right now. And I think this process of like having to do the work to work to build a business on your own and, and do that from the ground up, if it's good people, they can start with the motivation to make some money. But if it's a good person that realizes, okay, maybe I've made some money and I now want to make an impact in the world and that money doesn't actually buy you anything in terms of happiness, then, uh, then you've got the right kind of entrepreneur that can go out and make a difference. So kind of wherever you are, wherever you're at, if you have that inclination, where's the drive going to come from? And oftentimes it's going to be from that self story you've got of thinking of yourself as worried, scared, traumatized, not smart, not worth it not worth it, not worth investing in. If you tell yourself that story, it's going to be a story that's going to stick with you. But, you know, number one, we all have that story in some version or another. That's just normal human condition. However, what are we going to do with it, right? Are we going to accept that? Are we going to be aware of it? And so any step you can take to build that awareness to move yourself forward. Anyway, I digressed some on to kind of my, my thoughts on that. You were asking about the specifics of the surgery and what drives me in terms of, of uh, what I see as success now in my plastic surgery practice. And, you know, the answer to that is it really is partnering with patients. I say, you know, our tagline in my practice has been ever since I've been on social media, I kind of crystallized it as partnering with patients on their self-improvement journey. And that partnering means a lot of things. You know, it means partnering on, is this the right thing to do? It's partnering on, are you going to get the result that you expect you're going to get? It's partnering on, are you prepared physically, emotionally, and financially for the time off? the expense, the recovery, the preparation that's going to set up your success uh, optimally for recovery for the potential that there are issues afterwards because plastic surgery is not going to change you as a person. I say it's never the destination. It can be part of the journey and it can make a major difference. And I see major physical transformations, but that's partnership for me. So to me, the right person going through that, that we partner with, they're part of our family. I mean, we love our patients and we pour out as much love as we can with our patients. And that's the enjoyable part for us is seeing people going through this journey. And then on the other end of it saying, you changed my life. This is the best thing I've ever done. I am so glad my confidence is through the roof. You know, women look at me differently. Really, they look at themselves differently and they do look better and they're motivated maybe to do more work to maintain that and improve it. And I, it just lights me up seeing people do that. So that's the satisfaction I take from it. And the satisfaction I take in trying to build the brand is, Hey, if we can reach a wider audience, I'm not expecting that a high percentage of those people are going to come to me for surgery, but they know that I do surgery. So if they are interested or the friend is or their daughter is, that's great because that's likely to be a fantastic patient coming for the right reasons. And so that may well work out, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is if I can talk with you and this resonates with one person and they say, you know what? I feel like that loser. I feel like I can be something better. You know, this guy did it. He, you know, what did he do to do that? What can I do to love myself, build my confidence and, and take those steps forward in my life? Dude, I totally agree. And what's crazy as you were sitting here talking and, and, and explaining, you know, kind of, how you treat your patients, that's impressive because, you know, I, I've worked with in several of my businesses, I've worked with multiple kinds of doctors and quite honestly, most of them are fucking assholes. You know, <laughs> well, the system, the system isn't set up all that well, you know, I, I guess that could be the case or maybe they're miserable. I, I don't know, but you know, um, 
I, I shared with you the other day. I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know that I've ever shared this period. Um, sure as fuck, I hadn't done it online or anything else, but you know, I went through plastic surgery and, it, and, and the guy that did it was amazing. And, uh, one of my drains, uh, got fucked up. I can't remember exactly what the hell happened. And so he came to my house. He drove his fucking car to my house and fixed the problem. And, and it, it, obviously it wasn't anything. It, oh, it was a bat. One of my drain bags. That's what it was. Something. Yep. Had come, it, and, and the fact that he did that and stood in my kitchen and had a conversation with me, I'm just a patient. Like I don't really know him at all at this point, but the fact that he did that, he became a friend of mine. So the way that you are going about doing this, you're creating that same relationship. Um, except for, I believe that my guess is that you're probably a little bit, uh, I think you're in it a little bit more than him, so to speak. Uh, but that's beside the point. I love, I, I love that story. I think it's, it, you know, it is kind of, you know, doing the right thing. And in that situation, that was absolutely above and beyond. You know, that's one of our core values for our business is this extremism and going to the above and beyond level that's not expected to help. What doesn't matter? It's to help each other on our team. It's to help patients. It's to help those in our community. But it's a core value that we actually reward. And we have a monthly award for this extremism. You get a day off. You get a massage for doing it. And I participate in this as well. But I'm not going to get the award. We're going to choose someone in our practice. But I, I, that, I think that stands as an example of someone who cares, who you know, sees the situation and just shows up, shows up and takes care of the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, he also, um, you know, one of the other things I just thought about this, you know, he would, you know, he would stay late. Uh, at least I knew at least three times, uh, with three different of people, you know, people that work for him, employees that needed, that wanted something done. And I don't know the, you know, the agreement or whatever they had, but if I had to guess knowing him, he did it because of, they really, really wanted it. And so he stayed, you know, at, at a time when he didn't have patients and he'd fucking do the surgery. And like, that's, a, that's pretty cool because I don't know a lot of people in the medical industry that, that would, that, that go above and beyond. I just don't, um, yeah. you know, I, I just think it's a, uh, a few and far between. So it's really refreshing. Yeah. I think there's some challenges in the medical system, no question. But there's a lot of great people. Most people have gone into medicine because they want to help people. So fundamentally, there's a lot of things broken with the system. Um, and, you know, I think progress is progress, too. You know, we have a new generation of physicians that come in that they want a better work-life balance. And it's not bad. I think that's a good thing. You know, I think that that it's appropriate that the the system, that the the medical care community adjust to reasonable training, reasonable lifestyle. And so things do shift around and it does sometimes come across as more, uh, you know, doc of the day or whatever that's going to be. Uh, uh, but I think most people are truly very, very caring. However, I think you're right. I think there are a number of situations where that doesn't come through or for whatever reason, the environment you're in, you don't get a great experience every time. But, but you know what? I, I still believe, you know, I believe that doctors are overall 
excellent, caring people. And so I, I, it breaks my heart to kind of hear how commonly this story would be related. But just know that you know, there are great doctors out there everywhere, and, and the vast majority of them have gone into it because they really care about people. You know, it's funny that you say, now that you say that, you know, I think that I, I one in particular um, that I, I think I was thinking about, um, and it just like, it was like, it was like, to, one, it was like talking to the fucking wall. That was the first thing. And secondly, I mean, it's just had zero personality. And I always wondered, how do you, like, how do you, like, how do you interact with your patients with this personality? And he always had that personality. And not yeah. the, not the other guy, not the guy that that worked with me, but you know, it, and of course, I'm not going to name his name. But um, actually, now I think about it, his partner was the same damn way. So maybe they just got along well. I don't know. But um, yeah, yeah. So it, it's just interesting. But I, I want to hit on one thing that you said. You said you know you felt like the work, you know, the medical communities were kind of they're moving more towards a work life balance rule. You guys pull massive hours, at least going through school. I mean, out. I'm sure there were days that, well, tell me, the longest period without sleep. I mean, you could probably go for two days if you needed to. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Oh, I, I, you know, you're, you're making me dig up painful memories. I don't know how deep I need to go in that. But yeah, you know, surgical training is, to, I mean, I did a 17-hour surgery. And of course, I went out, took what? some break, went to the bathroom. But, but uh, and you know, you're not productive after being in the operating room solidly for 17 hours. So the, the, um, the training, you know, the training I did was two residencies. I did an ENT residency, which started with a general surgery internship, four years of ENT surgery, and then went on and did a second residency in an associated specialty, but then that is plastic surgery. So that's a lot of years of surgical training. I took a lot from it. I mean, I learned a tremendous amount, but is it necessary to take that long? You know, perhaps it isn't. I don't know. So yeah, absolutely. You know, medical school and residency training is a massive, massive commitment. Uh, no question about it. And certainly when you're out in practice, if you're on your own and you're going to people's houses to see them and you're going to the ER because someone got a gunshot went into the base and they call me, you know, I'm out a month or two and I get a call. Hey, Nick. Uh, yeah, this guy's bleeding. I think he might be bleeding out. We need to go to the scanner. He just took a shotgun to his face, but we can't stop the bleeding before to get a scan of his head. I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, I, I'm the guy that's going to need to go take care of this situation. So Ooh. it is, it is, it's beneficial to have been in that situation many times. It's beneficial to have gone through a stressful training environment where you've been somewhat put to the test. But is it necessary that it's as sort of traditionally grueling as it has been? Mm, there's arguments on both sides, but probably it's not necessary. Well, no, but at the same time, like, I want to know that you're going to, I want to know that even if it's at the 23rd hour that you can still fucking fix my face if it's half blown off. So my point, I guess my point was, is that, you know, you've got to have a certain level of a drive to be able to 
you bite off that kind of commitment. And then I guess where I was going with that is that at the end of the day, how do you shift from not grinding so hard to saying, oh, well, I, you know, I'm going to work, you know, eight hours a day. Like, I, does that make sense? I guess because being an entrepreneur, you don't fucking work 40 hours ever. Right. Or you're probably not making any money, most likely. So you, my point is, you know, shifting from being so regimen and, and, and really like, you know, going through, you know, medical school clearly is not easy. And, and, and so to coast afterwards, mindset, I guess I'm trying to understand how someone would go from the mindset of, of, of grinding like you did for so many years and not that you've gone to this because clearly you haven't by the stuff that you show, like, how do you just kind of relax? I don't see how you shift. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, I think lifestyle and, 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 uh, and even just healthy lifestyle, it's ironic how out of shape and poor lifestyle most uh, physicians, myself included, go through that process. And then, you know, so I was 220 pounds when I finished my residency. Uh, I'm now about 185. I've gone back up, you know, through just traumas in my life, going through a divorce, all those things. And so uh, I'm, I'm in my 50s now. And, you know, I went to my doctor for my physical this year, just last month. And I, I told her, I said, you know, I'm really motivated to do things to be healthy because I didn't come this far to only come this far. And I don't want to end my career and not go out and ride my bike, go skiing, camping, mountain biking, you know, everything that I love to do is based on enjoying physical activity. It's kind of my, you know, my mental therapy on getting out. And so, uh, you know, we were at dinner a couple weeks ago, we were in St. Louis with our group. And one of the docs I was with, I was sitting with a group of docs, imagine that. And one is talking about, Hey, you know, I had a bad week with the kids, a bad week from the perspective I didn't get my workout in. I like to work out. I like high intensity training. I like doing yoga. And the other doc sitting there, Alex Spinoza says, well, he he just put her right on the spot, says, what are your non-negotiables? And I'm like, damn, that's impressive. So, uh, and he's like, I know what mine are. I know what Ed and Andy's are. And and number one, it's going to be working out every day. You know, and and I'm doing that 75 hard program now. I've started and stopped. I actually had back problems that that I can say was you know took me out in a way. And then, I, but even I've done versions of it. But now I'm committed to you know I need to do the full thing and really establish myself for myself what those non-negotiables are. And so it's phenomenal to feel like, you know what, the most important thing I got to plan my day around is how am I getting my workout in? Because I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do, I'm going to put in the time. I'm going to do all of those other things because that's what I do as a business owner. That's what I do as a physician. That's my job. And so my job is also to take care of myself, right? And, and so I'm like, I want to get that heart scan test. I want to find out where my inflammatory levels are. I had it done last summer. I'm not happy with it. I want to redo it and I want to make sure that I'm happy with it because I want to be active for a long time to come. And it comes from that, you know, your promises to yourself and what is non-negotiable. So we talked about that, that work-life balance and, oh man, good luck. You know, an entrepreneur has a hard time with that, but that's a struggle. And I think you need to ask yourself, you know, where those things are because things will break down. And, you know, a doc that's out of shape, out of training, 
and they're busy as hell, they probably wish they were busy when they first start, right? You're, you wish you were in the operating room. You wish you were getting cases. And so depending on your situation, if you go into private practice, if you could be half as busy as we're in residency, you'd be killing it, right? Right. And so it's, it's, a, it's an adjustment for sure. It would have to be. Yeah, it would have to be. Um, you know, and even, you know, we, I think we probably think very similarly. Like when I get, you know, just like, you know, be starting this podcast, I, I, I've, I have enjoyed it so much. I have completely neglected myself in the process. And which is really weird because I usually work out almost every day of the week but I've put so much on my plate that I've put that to the side. And my wife's like, fuck dude, like what are you doing? Like, you gotta, but she was like, I get it. And, and it's temporary, right? You know, I got to drive my ass off until I realize, okay. And when the scale gets to a certain number at that point, that'll be my, that'll be my okay. But right now, fuck, I'm losing weight opposed to gaining. Because yep. I'm grinding so fucking hard, I'm just not eating, which is yeah. not healthy. Not healthy at all. All right, Dr. Nick here. <laughs> you know what? I do that. I've done that dozens of times. I totally understand it. I think if your passion is to make sure that you're committed to that through the long term, you need to find your way there. And, and ultimately I think there'll be a wake up moment where you're going to, you know, what are you going to be going to be the fat couch potato that's going to be on diabetes, you know, have type two diabetes, high blood pressure and be a, you know, kind of a victim of the medical system. The medical, this is part of the issue with medicine today is if we rely on medicine to take care of us and we're not taking care of ourselves, it ain't going to work. There ain't a pill that's going to make you healthy. You know, that really cut does come from lifestyle and that comes from a commitment to yourself and honestly participating with the healthcare environment for, you know, I, I, I don't choose to take any pills. You know, if I, it, I, that's my goal. Now I have some acid reflux and so I have to take an acid reflux pill. And if I had other medical conditions that required it and I couldn't fix it myself, then I would be willing to consider that. But, you know, going to the doc saying, I have a problem you need to fix it or what can I do? That approach is the problem with our healthcare system today is it doesn't work. You're not going to get better. So ultimately, you know, you're going to need to ask yourself, you know, what are, I like that question. What are your non-negotiables? You know, and that, that is a helpful thing is what, you know, what are your fundamental commitments to yourself that you feel best? Most of us and Corey, I'm looking at you. I know you don't know different. You feel better when you feel strong. You feel better when you've got that baseline fitness and then you've got more energy. You can be a better person for your family. You have more energy, more confidence, more to radiate to the world, more to give. And so ultimately when you've got more to give, you're just feeling like you're a better person and it doesn't happen for free. So the system does break and Hey, we all, we all fall off no matter what. There is no perfect person. But the question is, what is our response to that? What do we accept? Sure. Well, you know what? I, as you were saying that, I did leave out one thing that I think is probably important because, you know, I, because I, I haven't been getting as much sleep, um, we also went vegan, right? And so I say vegan, I don't know exactly, I can't remember the fucking word for it, but essentially we, you know, we'll have fish and, but, but it's, I, no more meat. Like I haven't had meat in, uh, since, since I went to St. Louis actually. Um, mm-hmm. and so, I think part of that is that food's not fun anymore. 
You know, food's not, and it shouldn't be. The whole goal for eating is not for pleasure, but yet that's exactly what we use it for, most of us. Um, so it's just not exciting anymore. And so I think that's part of it. And, and, and or, or most likely the, the lack of, hell, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I thought I was supposed to have more energy. But as of right now, that is not the case. But I think that will pass. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's challenging to be on a vegan diet or a, a pescatarian fish only diet. It can be done. You got to watch for the quality protein sources and make sure you're getting enough quality proteins. It can definitely be done as a vegetarian and as a, a pescatarian, but it is, uh, it's not going to happen by itself. So you got to make sure you're adding in, you know, the other appropriate things. Rice and beans complement each other in their amino acid makeup. And so you're going to need to do your homework and find out. And Everybody's different. You know, there are, when we study indigenous populations, such as the, the Inuit Indians versus someone that may be more hunter-gatherers, there, there are, uh, and more foragers, there are definitely genetic populations that had 90% fat in their diet and ate primarily meat. There are other populations that had primarily an agrarian grain and agriculture or, or vegetarian diet, and none of them had heart disease. None of them had high blood pressure. They didn't die from those conditions. And so everybody is going to have a different genetic makeup. And some of it isn't going to come out of a diet book. Some of it's going to come out of what makes you feel good. And it may be that your genetics actually favor not being a vegetarian. And it may be that your genetics do favor it. I think it can be done for sure, but there is no correct diet. And I understand there's multiple things behind behind uh, reasons for being vegetarian, from environmental to to uh, uh, appreciation of animals. It's a, it's a wide ranging subject. But from a pure health standpoint, it can be challenging for people, and some may be less able to adapt than others to a vegetarian or a vegan diet. No, I, I agree with you. So, you know, I, I don't know if I even told you that my background is in health and, and, and nutrition. And, and then I got into hormone therapy. Um, and so I know what to do. I'll tell you what made me what I'll tell you when it, the switch, what in my mind when it happened was when, and I believe I'm telling you this correct. Did Ed not, did, no, I don't, maybe it wasn't his interview. Somebody I listened to uh, did an interview with, uh, I can't remember who the hell it was. And they explained how long meat like stays in your system. And the fact that if you were to feed cooked food to either a lion or a tiger, they would kill them because that's not what they're used to either. They're used to eating raw, bloody meat. And that uh, acidity, uh, I, th I think, I correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, if, if we were to, if, if our bodies would withstand eating raw meat, the acidosis would be less. Is that correct? You know, I'm, it's not jumping. I, I don't want to state incorrectly. I think you're on the right track, but I don't want to state incorrectly. So I'm going to take a pass on that right yeah. now. Okay. So that's, I think that's what I heard. Either way, it, it takes a minute for the meat to get out of your system. And so it kind of was like, it, it just was a dirty fucking feeling. But, you know, at the same time, I love the hell out of any, just about any kind of meat. So we'll see how long it lasts. I mean, I'm committed to it right now. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, but, I, but you know, I, I will say this, and I know if it's anybody that, 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 that you know, it, it has nothing to do with whether or not 
the animal rights and all that stuff. That I mean, no offense to you if that is the whatever. I could care less if we eat cows. I think that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, I, it, I I think that's what we were. I mean, it's kind of how we were designed to eat. I heard an interesting interview where, uh, and actually it was just part of the interview, but the takeaway was there is an environmental cost. There are costs to the amount of meat in our diet. And the approach this person was taking was saying, hey, it's not practical, it's not realistic, and it's a bit judgmental to say nobody should eat meat. But it's reasonable to say, can you eat less? Can everyone, can, you know, can you evaluate yourself and make a judgment for yourself? Can you eat less? And for some, that might mean no meat. For others, it might mean not steak, you know, and, and meat every single day. For others, it might mean, you know, one less meal where they're eating meat and it's replaced by some alternative. And if everyone did that, it would make a major impact. It would certainly make a major environmental impact. And I, I think probably health benefits would be good as well. You know, that principle probably applies to a lot of things, you know, if we're taking 15 trips a day, or we're driving, you know, we're, you know, whether it's driving, taking airplanes, whatever it is, if we can do, you know, if we can do less, it will make an impact. If we all pay attention to those things that are, that are, can make an impact. If we all just adjust ourselves, it's not practical probably to do none, give up our cars, walk everywhere only, or ride a bike or go back to, you know, a horse-drawn carriage. But it, we can make an impact if we pay attention. So, you know, it's probably not great that we use as much energy as we do, as much water as we do, eat as much meat as we do. And let's meet people where they are. And if your goal is to make a dent in the world in those things, then I think that was a pretty practical approach. Sure. No, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. For me personally, I, you know, I'm zero or I'm a hundred. I don't, I couldn't just cut back on meat. So that's why I said, I, I just, like, cause you made, you, you mentioned, you know, maybe you hey, eat no meat. Some people make a cut back. I either, I either do it or I don't do it. And so for me, I just personally, I, 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 don't, I don't want one foot in one foot out. It just, that makes sense. Okay. At least that's, that's just, I mean, it's just my personal viewpoint on it. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm just, I, maybe I'm weird like that. I don't know, but, um, I'm, I'm an all in guy in a lot of things for sure. But you know, I, it, it, the number of times I fail at going all in, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, if I go in, I go all in, I want to win. And so I think it's just a reasonable question. Is this something I want to go all in on? Cause you can't go all in on everything. No, you're right. Because you'll burn yourself out. You know, that is for sure. So, and then I guess you have to ask yourself, well, okay, if I go all in on being, you know, vegetarian for that reason or whatever, uh, whatever you call it, pescatarian. Yeah, there you go. If I decide to go back to eating meat, then I'll be all in just eating meat, like, and that'll just be my decision. I don't know how the hell we even got off on this subject, but anyway. (laughs) um, So, um, so, Back to you. So what um, do you have? Is it one practice? Do you plan on expanding? What is uh, what's your what's your what's the end game? What, is, what does that look like? We've grown a lot in the last several years. Social media has been a real change for us. And, you know, the biggest change for me, social media, first of all, did not work for a long time in, in, in plastic surgery in general. And certainly in my practice, you'd have a, a, a Facebook page and, you know, a couple hundred followers and nothing would ever get posted or read or it didn't really make an impact. And then I connected with Dr. Miami after he exploded on Snapchat. 
I didn't even know what Snapchat was, other than I learned that my daughters were always on Snapchat. And then I had patients ask me about Dr. Miami. I'm like, who the F is Dr. Miami? Sure. Ultimately, my daughter working for me, we looked at it and I called him. I said, hey, I want, I want to partner with you and, and, and uh, you know, kind of join in your family. He invites doctors in to do this. And this was, he's quite full of that. You know, everybody wants to be with him now. But there's a group of us that work in this, in this squad, as we call it. We're all in a chat group together. So we really all support each other. Where we've gone in on social media, specifically showing surgeries and video. And there's a lot of different styles. And, you know, I think those styles work for different people. But for me, it's always been about education, number one. Definitely want to be, you know, accessible or, you know, make an impact. So has to be some entertainment, has to be, you know, relatable for sure. But always focusing back on education. And that changed our practice. I, I was actually thinking about our nurse today, our, our kind of head nurse in our surgery center. She was very resistant to Snapchat at first. She thought it was inappropriate, waste of time. Why are we doing this? She just actually was just truly against it. And I basically had the approach, well, we're going to do this. So you need to accept it for now. Let's see how it goes. Today, she's the first to say, wow, I'm blown away by patients' excitement over this, how they come in better prepared. There, You have just a, the higher and higher quality of patients. They're more connected. It's easier for them to decide if they like us or not. You know how people aren't going to like you. They're going to tune out. And that's great. That just saved them the hassle of having them pick up the phone and call you. It saved us the trouble having to answer the phone. So right there, it's beneficial. But I show everything to some degree or another. In other words, I willingly show complications, show post-operative bruising and you're totally right you talked about lip implants and it looked brutal as hell well there's always this like curve of adaption uh, uh to what the heck is this you're looking at on video because the first re response to everybody is oh my god what is that for many people they stay there but it's incredible that youtube and and the media that we have today a lot of people have gotten through that and they now they're like wow this is cool i want to learn more and follow more and that's a big magnet for them and if they're interested in that procedure or think they may be or then oftentimes it's a real driver for them uh and that gets them to to learn about that learn about how they could be a candidate how there might be limitations maybe aren't a candidate or if it's not the right procedure for them that really helps so a lot of times patients come in now and they'll tell me you know i've got a constricted breast it's tubular shape i think it's tight tighter lower pole i think we're going to need to do periareola reduce the areola and i know there's some asymmetry but i'm thinking i'm probably going to size somewhere in a moderate or a high profile implant and i go what do you need me for? You know, wow. they're saying, they're saying back to me everything that I would say to them because they've heard me say it enough times. And so we can go really far in a consultation really quickly and really partner together quite simply when that's the case. So it is a game changer. And that's why, you know, I'm doing talks at national meetings about social media from this perspective of how it adds value to your followers and it adds value to your practice fundamentally it adds a tremendous value to the quality of care you can give and the effectiveness with which you can do it that's crazy you know that's i i, I didn't look at it from that perspective and i'll tell you another thing that that kind of when you were talking about you know social media what i thought about was when i go into my regular practitioner and i see that five pounds of fat sitting on, you know, the fake fat. And, 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 th and then that led me to think about, well, I wonder how many people see when you pull all that fat out of people's bodies and look at it and say, Oh, like, I, that's what I had. Like, 
that's in, in me. Like I, I need to do something about that, whether it's lose weight or come to you or because quite frankly, it's gross. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really, it really is. And when you pick up five pounds of fat, you see the mass of it. It's five pounds and it's huge. Well, there's nothing natural about what we're doing, right? You know, this is inside of your body that normally we don't see. It used to be, you had to be a, you know, a medical, a medical student or a training in a medical profession to get into a cadaver lab. And, and like, largely that's still the case to actually be in that environment where you're working with bodies. But, but yeah, people don't, it's not normal to see that. So it's definitely gross when you see it. The, um, so my take on that is at, you know, plastic surgery can definitely be aspirational, but what I focus on are the stories. It's the people their motivations for change. And that's where, you know, I'm starting a podcast and, you know, one of the people we're interviewing is Chris and Heidi Powell. They're known as celebrities. They had a, you know, t- television show, millions of millions and millions of uh, viewers on helping people transform from being massively overweight and losing that weight through lifestyle and exercise. And they would coach them through that. That totally, those are awesome patients for us. Do you have to be that person? You don't, but that is a really rewarding patient because they have made a commitment to themselves and they're keeping promises with themselves. Now they're unhappy with some loose skin. They're unhappy with the shape or it doesn't have to be that dramatic and simply be genetically, you know, Angelina Jolie, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, they won the genetic lottery. So if they want to sit there and say, I'm against plastic surgery, I'd say, well, hell, I would, you don't need it. Right. Who are you to give us an opinion about this? Because you won that genetic lottery. So a lot of it is men that have extra fat in their breasts. You know, we got extra in the shape of our thighs. You know, we've had kids, we got looseness of our skin. You didn't do anything wrong other than your parents gave you the genetics that that's how your body's shaped and we can work to reshape that and make a significant change. And so it's rewarding on many, many levels, but ultimately the stories are what it's all about. So I work to try and share those stories because I think that paints a better picture for how it may or may not be something for, for somebody to pursue. For sure. For sure. Um, You know, I can only imagine the joy that you get from having someone and, and I'll just, you know, I'll use myself as an example. Like I, I was in good shape. I just couldn't get my stomach where I wanted. And I was a fat kid. Like I was, you know, I was a really fat kid because my, my parents fed me fried food and dessert every night. And, you know, they, you know, it was 20, whatever, how long ago, 25 years ago. So, you know, I partially, they didn't know any better. And, and two, you know, I knew that was something that I really, really wanted. And when you get good, I'm trying to tie it back to you. So you, you said, well, you know, at what point will you make that decision? Will it be fat on the couch? Fuck no, not for me. It won't like I, I, I have a limit and I know where that is. And as soon as I get even close to that number, it's all, all best are off. I'm done. We're doing whatever no. stupid the shit I'm doing. I'm done. That's helpful. It really is. I mean, if you have that limit, you honor it. You know, if you say, if I get to 190, if I get to 200, it's like a wake up call. I'm not accepting it. That is very helpful. You know, they say when you lose weight, throw away the fat clothes. They're gone. Right. The, the, because you're not going back to that person. 
And uh, it took me a lot of years. You know, I, <laughs> my wife still helps me empty out stuff that doesn't fit. But the, the uh, yeah, it, it, whatever it takes, right? And I think it's what you're willing to accept. Uh, it, and it's human to mess stuff up. It's human to, to um, it's just normal. So, you know, it's accepting that, hey, we're all human. And for the most part, we're all good people, right? So it isn't like kicking yourself is going to help. Mm-hmm. The real answer is, is where are we doing looking forward? What are we willing to accept? And, you know, awareness, yeah, but then what are we going to do? Well, and to, you know, to tie back into the not throwing the clothes out, you know, that's almost like looking forward into the past, which means you're probably going to wind back up there. Because there's somewhere here that's saying, Mm, probably not going to make it. So I better hang on to that. Whereas yep. if it's gone, that, that, that's not, it's not an option, right? Cause nobody wants to go out and buy bigger clothes, you know? And I think it's partially a psychological thing or at no least doubt. My, my opinion is that that would be the case for sure. It's ski season here. So if you're skiing through the trees, look between the trees, right? Right. If you look at it, you're hitting the tree. No question about it. No question about it. It's just, you know, I, I was just listening the other day, something but they were talking, talking about, you know, if you're, I believe, it was, I believe it was a motorcycle or a bike. If you're, if you start to go down, you turn in the direction that you're going. I can't remember the analogy, but basically the same exact thing, you know, don't think of a blue tree. Well, now you're thinking about a blue tree. language is important too language is important the stories we tell ourselves and language is important you know the uh and we can check ourselves on this you know i I, we had a friend that spoke on stage uh in st louis and i spoke with him and and one of the things he says is i said man you killed it i I was so proud seeing you up there sharing that message he said yeah but i was so hyper this day there i go and we talked for a few minutes i said i said chris you just told yourself this, so you believe it. In fact, I wouldn't have thought of that. Could I have maybe noticed it? Could we have had this conversation in a way to say, Nick, I really appreciate your feedback. Um, you know, what do you think? I, you know, one of the concerns I had is, you know, maybe I was a little bouncing around a little bit of energy, and I could give you some feedback on it. When you come out and blame yourself for it in the introduction to your response to the speech, I want this to be the last time that you do that because you killed it. You went up in an audience where you hadn't been in an audience of that size ever. You, you know, you predated a powerful message. I said, look at all the amazing things you did. I'm just going to ask you not to start your thought process in your own head with, yeah, but I, you know what? I, I, I accept that I did a good job, but I was too hyper because if you say it, the words are going to stick in your head and that's what you're going to remember. That's what you're going to associate with it. Yeah. Subconscious dude, for sure. Without a shadow of a doubt, he did kill it. He absolutely killed it. And his energy is always like that. He's always like that, which is, you know, I, to me, it lights up the room, you know, Chris is an totally, idiot. he's the reason, you know, he's the reason that I was there. He's such a, I mean, you, you know, him. he's, he's just a magnificent, magnificent dude. He really, is. I can only share that with him because I'm a prime example of needing that exact advice. I think most of us are, I think we all do that. You know, we tell ourselves, yeah, but you know, or, you know, I'm worried about this or I'm, I'm, you know, objectively, I'm killing it in all these others, but I'm beating myself up because this one area that I'm focusing on, I don't feel like I'm killing it enough or I'm not happy with where I'm at. So I'm down because I'm not doing enough to get my message out or I don't like how we're, you know, doing this. And I'm like, wait a minute. If that's what I think about all the time, 
then that's how I'm going to feel. That's what I'm going to project into the world. The reality is, let's give some gratitude to ourselves for how amazing we all are. And so I found gratitude to be, you know, I'm making a lot of shifts in my life. And it is like, I want to get better. But part of it is I got to believe in myself. And gratitude is actually the way that I can recognize how special of a gift all of us have been given and how much I enjoy those that are around me. And so sharing that with them, but giving myself grace, you know, it's, it's, I can only say it to somebody because it doubly applies to me. No question about it. And it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I have a real, I shouldn't say problem because then it is a problem, but you know, accepting you saying like the other day you said to me, you know, Corey, the way you said that story, it made me feel so good. And I'm, I'm learning to accept compliments, right? Because I have never been one to really accept a compliment out. Or if you give me a compliment, I'm going to fire one right back at you because I want the attention off of me. Right. Mm-hmm. If, that, if that makes sense. And so it it's something I've had to really, really work on. Uh, and, and what really pointed it out was, you know, the magic of thinking big, I believe it is, uh, I believe it's the book that I read it in is you have to be able to receive if you, you know, you can give, 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 but you got to be able to receive because one thing, and I do believe this, that if you give me a compliment and I don't, I don't accept that compliment, I'm robbing you of the joy of giving me the compliment. And I like giving compliments. So I'm sure you like giving compliments. Because it makes me feel good. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's human. You know, that's, that's great human interaction. It, it's, I think it's just a point of to think about, right? Because stories and words are things that take us back to some vision of ourselves that probably we don't like. And so it is natural that that's just going to project as our natural defense mechanism to go back to that place. And awareness is really the key. You know, it's okay if you do it, right? But hey, man, you know, if, uh, hopefully if I talk with Chris about that, hopefully if you talk about with me, my family, my wife does, whoever it is, to talk about with me, I can take it and say, absolutely, or I, that's a great point. I need to be aware of that and say, that's fine, man. I'm human. I, now that I'm aware of it, I can actually work to change it, work to forgive myself for that and say, you're right. You know, those words that I'm using in my, in my, in my language to myself or the language where I'm explaining it to somebody else, they aren't helping. And I've been that way. I've been so self deprecating, just saying, yeah, you know, and and telling people I would screw stuff, but you know, as a joke everywhere, too much self-deprecation is absolutely doing exactly this because we're telling it to ourselves in a way that there's something about ourselves that we actually don't feel we're good enough. And we're trying to do it for social acceptance and trying to be, you know, in a, an environment and be funny and, and lively and, and, and trying to be a real human. And, and I, I think, you know, obviously it's not, it's not like a, a black, white thing, but if that is your main mode is that you put yourself down all the time. Eh, yeah. It's not helping. It's really not helping. No, it's, it's really not. Self-talk is a real thing. Uh, and I don't know if people recognize how real of a thing that it is. Um, you know, and I learned a lot about this. I went through NLP training and so it's language of the mind. And so it, it really is about, you know, I can't remember again what the hell it was I was listening to, but it said, you know, if you wake up and you expect to have a good day, you're probably going to have a good day. 
<laughs> for sure. You know, and if you wake up expecting to have a, a shit day, then most likely that's what you're going to get. Then, you know, I, I, you're so right about that. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're traveling or you're in an Uber or whatever it is, or you're, you know, we've gone to leaving a thank you note every time we stay in a hotel room. And when we were in St. Louis, we have thank you notes saying, we're so appreciative that you uh, are, are committed to the work that you do. I'm sure your, fam- your family should be proud of the work that you do. We left five bucks or 10 bucks on the, on the note, whatever it is. But, but, um, and, we, and we're leaving those after we're leaving, right? Sure. If you're actually staying at a place for a week, there's a lot of benefit to doing that the first night and giving them a big tip the first night because uh, uh, then they'll treat you right. But this is trying to just radiate some energy into the world. It's, you know, talking up the elevator operator or the person, the cashier, where otherwise be like, why the hell, you know, would I even smile today? And you chat them up over whatever it is they're wearing or the weather or the sports team that's playing that day and radiate some positive energy. You know, a lot of times you're going to change that person's outlook on the day and it's really fun to just try and work to you know bring people to wake up and enjoy what's sitting right in front of us Dude, i totally agree you know is it ever gonna hurt anybody to give a compliment or hell just look somebody in the eye and smile and say hello opposed to immediately and i think ed or andy somebody talks you know we, as of 2019 the human interaction almost seems like it's not obsolete, but you know, we see people in the grocery store and just because I don't want to have a conversation because it's inconvenient for me, I look at my phone and walk right on past. Right. So I have to make conscious effort not to do that because it's really not fair. Uh, it's not fair to me. It's not fair to them, you know? And, and you know, it's kind of the way, I feel like it's just kind of the way people operate these days. Not everybody, but you know, somebody was telling me they live uh, in, I guess they live in California. I can't remember who it, who it was. And they said, uh, you know, I say yes, ma'am. And, and no, ma'am. And yes, sir. And no, sir. He said, people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because I mean, North, I mean, North, North Carolina. So we say, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, we open doors. That's what the hell you do. He's like, no, where I live, (laughs) where I live, they look at you like, what do you want from me? Yeah. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Yeah. Well, no, I, I was in, I was in Alabama for two years. So I I picked up a little bit of that and I, I'll actually use that, but I try not to use with anybody my age or older, you know, I try, or, you know, unless it's a, you know, unless someone's been in in the military or as an officer or something like that. Because I don't want to, uh, you got to be careful. People aren't old anymore and they don't accept being old. I'm not old. I don't accept being old. And, and I'm not going to accept being old when I'm 60 or when I'm 70. I'm still going to want to feel young. And so communication, it's, it gets to be a little subtle and a little tricky as you're dealing with people that are uh, in their 50s and above or anyone. Because they're first, you know, in Colorado, if you say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, or thank you, ma'am, thank you, sir. If I do it who's someone who's clearly younger than me, no big deal. But if I don't, I might be implying that they're old. And, and you know, that's not a good social cue you want to be doing with anyone. Definitely not. Yeah. Certainly not. No, that's a very good point. That is a very good point. I didn't really think about it that way, to be honest. I, I, just, I just, it's just a normal thing. <laughs> Well, in the South, it's normal. So it's, I don't think anybody thinks a second thought about it. But outside of that region where it's the normal language, it's, uh, I think it's a much bigger deal. 
Yeah. Well, I'm sure, yeah, obviously, obviously. I think the other one is, is just your demeanor. You know, if, if I'm that person that's walking up, sorry, sorry, bumping, you're, you're kind of not actually, it's, you know, there's not necessarily a reason to be sorry. And it is, it can't be, you can't say the word, but it's like almost how you say it, you know? It really you know, you, you, you're like, sorry, brother. That's one thing, you know, but right. like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Me about my bad. You know, it, look, you're, 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 it's, if you're saying things that are meek, then you're treating yourself as being meek. Then I can just only say this because it's definitely something that I can be in a mode where I'll do that or that I've done in the past. So again, if that's you, guess what? That's normal. It's not a problem, but be aware of it. Sure. So that, hey, you can say it's having an impact. Maybe if I treat myself a little differently, I won't have that impact that kind of draws me down or draws me in. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that popped in my head is, you know, you say, well, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, what the fuck? You're, I mean, <laughs> you say that, right? Because it's just what you say to people. But those words, the first two, as you probably well know, are the most two powerful words in the whole dictionary. I mean, I am is... You're, if you say I'm I'm sorry multiple times a day, guess what? Eventually, you're just going to start feeling that way. Oh, there's a role for it, right? But just where's the role for that? You know, that's true. I mean, if you if you've impacted someone and it's a problem, you know, that's probably the first two words that needs to come out of your mouth. I am so sorry that I have done something that's impacted you in this way. Regardless of anything else, you need to own and 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 share that. But you're right. Do you do that if you just bump somebody's up on the bus? Not necessarily, right? Right. So it, it's it's uh, but it is it's appropriate to acknowledge people. You know, uh, sorry, brother. Sorry, sorry, ma'am, sir. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is. Right, 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 right. No, but you're right. You know, it's uh it's interesting. I love the whole psychology of, of the language, and it's it's fascinating to me. Um, it, it really is. It's, uh, you know, and you, I, I guess you probably saw Joe Dispenza. Did yeah. You see? Oh, like, that's phenomenal. Oh my God. That dude, he is amazing. Like absolutely. His story is like, it's mind blowing. And I told, I was telling, I was a, a friend, she was brand new out of, uh, she's a PA. So, and I was telling her mom, she's a family friend, whatever. I was telling them this story and they're like, Nah, there's no way it happened. No way. Man, I'm like, well, I wonder why she said that. And then I got to thinking about it. I'm like, we're kids fresh out of medical school. So maybe that's why that they don't, you know, but, but the whole metaphysical, uh, you know, um, what's the other word? Um, Epigenetics. Yes. Like it's a real thing. It is a real thing. Well, it is. It, well, we certainly know it is from stress response. You know, stress response certainly is healthy if it helps you focus in, a, in an area where focus is what's needed. Uh, it's the fight or flight. But permanent stress response definitely turns on different genes. That's what epigenetics refers to is it's like how is our mind, our thoughts, our emotions changing our genetic makeup in terms of what hormones our body's putting out, etc. And the, And then the hormones that we put out, such as cortisol with stress, that turns on a lot of inflammatory processes in our body, changes. The, so over time, we don't need to be stressed out about a text. We don't need to be stressed out about a message. And so those that isn't normal evolutionary behavior. That's when something was going to come down and eat you or kill you or beat you up where that stress response is healthy and normal. But if we're doing it, all the time on a consistent basis, it is 
eating us inside in a different way. And that's epigenetic. So yes, we know scientifically for sure that there's genetic response in terms of what genes are turned on, what are modulated from our stress response. It does make sense. This is the way I made that leap because I'm, I'm like, when I hear this stuff, I'm pretty skeptical at first. I'm like, yeah, there's no Easter bunny. I'm sorry. And, and so, uh, uh, but it makes sense to me that the reverse is true. When you turn those genes off, when you visualize different emotions, when you live in those emotions, you are going to have less inflammation. I know that. You're going to have less stress. I know that. And so you are going to be turning on a different gen. But there's also this alchemy, this you know, energy in the world. And I don't know how true it is scientifically. I just don't. I love the stuff that Joe Dispenza does where he measures energy fields. So those who people don't know him, he's, he's in this field of, of uh, well, epigenetics is one. The other is, is, is sort of quantum physics and mind, mind control. And he tries to put a lot of science behind it. I respect that he has done. He really has done thousands of scans, really does try to measure, does try to put science behind it. I can't give credence to the quality or the legitimacy of that I just not expert enough to know, but as a physician and as someone who's very curious about this stuff, it is absolutely fascinating to me. And I'm not sure it's entirely necessary that we understand it or be able to scientifically explain because, you know, things do just come to you when your reception is open to things coming to you. And it can be very simple stuff. If you're smiling and people around you are smiling and the energy is in the room, then yeah, the person that comes in the room that happens to do something in a different way is simply going to be open to sharing that with you. And that will attract quality and, and energy into your life. There's, there's no question that that's just the human condition. I'm not sure it's all that much magic, but I love, I do love the Joe Dispenza stuff. And, and in a more kind of concrete way, another person I've followed and learned about who's just exploded on social media recently. So if you hadn't heard of her, you'd, you, there's no way you would know who this person is, but it's Nicole LaPera and her, her work. She is the holistic psychologist on Instagram. Andy, Andy interviewed her. He did. And, oh. and she, yeah, she, her, her story is great because she came from this kind of stressful childhood that guess what? That's pretty damn normal that most of us did. And there are definitely those that didn't, but, but, but that is something that's a normal thing for many of us to have as part of our experience. It was Nicole's experience. She does a really good job of sharing how she was driven by having to be uh, academically successful to get attention because, you know, when she'd get a gold star for getting A pluses and all that stuff, that's the only way she would get attention. Otherwise, she felt unnoticed. Well, she shares that as she went through and became a psychologist and treated patients and realized that patients, you know, a lot of them really weren't making any progress. They do cognitive behavioral therapy and the, basically the same patterns were existing and she felt like she spent time and time. And so she basically had nervous breakdown, gave that up, and has come at it from a completely different approach. She's put some terminology I haven't heard before called reparenting. I don't know if it's hers or not, but it's phenomenal stuff. Her daily posts are really, really helpful, and uh, she's blown up from zero to million-plus followers, and I don't know. She's probably going to blow up bigger yet because it's super relatable, and we can all see you know, what her message is. And a lot of it's really giving us that grace. And number one, it's, I've said this word normal a lot. That actually probably comes most from the coal saying, you know, we are all like this. And, and that's okay. That's the first thing is to say, you know, the past is the past. That's okay. Do you need to identify it and have it control you today and in your future? Well, it's going to hurt you. 
and you ain't going to grow out of it if you do. So how can we best, you know, move forward? So if people have, you know, are resonating with that, Nicole Pera, the holistic psychologist, holistic psychologist, look her up. It's definitely worth a follow. Yeah, dude. Her, I, I listened to her, you know, we, I listened to Andy. I probably have listened to that episode three times. Because I, I so, I like, I love, I just loved it. And now I don't know why it never dawned. I don't, I don't know if I follow her or not, but I will after tonight. I can tell you that. Um, it's fascinating to me, dude. It is fascinating to me for sure. And you know, one more quick thing I wanted to say, you know, you said, you mentioned, you know, as sort of jokingly about the Easter bunny a second ago. But if you think back when you were five years old, there was an Easter bunny. Right. You wholeheartedly believed there was a bunny that flopped around and went to each point 100%. So in your mind, it was real. And it just goes to show how powerful your mind is. You can create whatever you want, uh, you know, whether, again, good, bad, indifferent. Um, but, you know, we evolve, obviously. Yeah, well, maybe we can end it on this because I read something. I'm going to paraphrase it here with the Easter Bunny. But if you go, if you could believe in the Easter Bunny for eight years, you ought to be able to believe in yourself for more than five minutes. Mm. And so, believing in yourself is something that is the start of all this. If you're working to, you know, learn how you can grow and to be a stronger tomorrow. Absolutely, love it, Nick. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, brother. This was quite an honor. I have. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but uh, thank you so much for coming on, dude. I really oh, likewise, it. T- totally an honor to be on your podcast. I, I love seeing it, love seeing you grow on, love actually everything you're doing. So I appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. Thank you. Where can we follow you? So I'm at Denver Body Doc on social media. That's probably the easiest. Instagram and Snapchat. We've uh, it's interesting. We still have a much much bigger following on Snapchat, but you know the way the world is uh, is moving towards Instagram. I think for us, and so we're really working to pay attention to both. We do our surgeries, uh, uh, and I try and do a lot of education. Uh, but on on Instagram, we're able to show a lot more. We do have a lot more information you can connect to us with through there. It'll blow your mind, folks. It will blow your mind. So thank you, Nick. I appreciate it, brother. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Love it, Corey. Have a great one. All right, brother. Love you too. Later. Take care. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.